Warning, this podcast features graphic content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello again, Nightmare Society, and welcome to another episode of True Horror Stories. I'm just going to say the word murder and give you an idea of what this episode is about. This episode features a lot of adult content. From drugs to spousal abuse to murder to all the horrible things that horrible people do. So, if any of those things is triggering for you, I would recommend skipping this episode. Thank you to our contributors, user of Volpes Volpes user token brew user all of soup and the last two stories are from anonymous contributors thank you guys for sharing your stories with us don't forget nightmare society is a weekly podcast i usually distribute every thursday and it's available pretty much anywhere you can listen to a podcast so make sure that you subscribe or follow us whatever your podcast app allows you to do And if it's possible on your particular app, please leave us a review. And if you can't do that, then just head over to YouTube and give us a follow. And we'd really appreciate it. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. This encounter happened in the summer of 2006 when I was 20 years old. I didn't get my driver's license until January of that year, and driving opened up so many doors for me that I took a lot of solo road trips to my friends' houses in New England and mid-Atlantic states. I also looked young for my age and was often mistaken for a high school student in my early 20s. I was driving alone on I-78 on a random July day on my way to visit my friend in southern Pennsylvania for a long weekend. Her parents were away and we had the house to ourselves and were planning on drinking and hot tubbing and watching Planet Earth drunk. It had just come out. Maybe run around some cornfields at night. I was so excited, had a great drive, listened to good music and it was a beautiful day for driving. Right after I crossed the border from New Jersey into Pennsylvania, I stopped at one of the first rest stops to get gas and snacks for the last part of my drive. I have tried to figure out which rest stop this was, and I can't ID it, but it was a gas station with a large mini-mart. Opposite the gas station was the ramp back onto I-78 West, and parallel to the on-ramp was a dirt road, which comes into play later. I was heading into the store when a man in his late 30s, early 40s approached me. He was a stocky guy, decently tall, I'm 5 foot 1. He had on a plain black t-shirt and jeans with dark brown hair and a mustache and goatee. He had come out of a black pickup truck parked a few spaces away from my car. He had a super intense gaze and immediately creeped me out. He just had a crazy energy about him. 
I don't really get vibes from other people that often, but this was so strange. He stood too close. His gaze was crazy, direct, focused. His word choice was very strange. Immediately, it set off all of my alarms. He asked if I was from the area, despite my Connecticut license plate, where I was headed, and if I knew of anything fun to do, because he had plans later and time to kill beforehand. He invited me to go play mini-golf, or watch a movie with him. I didn't answer any of his questions, declined his invitation to hang out, and told him I didn't know the area, and walked away towards the store. I was blown away that he asked me to go somewhere with him. It was so random and uncomfortable. As I was walking away, he actually screamed out, You're gorgeous! And the volume and tone made my hair stand on end. It was super aggressive and inappropriate, and he startled a family walking out of the store it was so loud. I didn't turn around, but went inside. He came into the store shortly after and was staring at me, so I went to use the bathroom and stayed in for at least ten minutes, texting my friend about this creep. When I came out, he wasn't in the store anymore, so I took my time buying my drinks and snacks, sour bright crawlers and trail mix being my obligatory road trip food, and went out to gas up my car. I was relieved his car was gone and started thinking about the rest of my drive and getting excited to see my friend. When I pull up to the road to get back on the highway, I hear someone persistently honking their horn, and I see this creep show on the dirt road parallel to the on-ramp in his truck, honking, shouting, and waving at me to drive over to him. He was directly facing the gas station and had been waiting for me to pull up. I immediately freaked out and jumped on the ramp back onto I-78. He pulled onto the highway after me and I called my friend extremely scared. I drove so fast and probably dangerously and looking back, I'm lucky that I didn't get into an accident, but I didn't know what else to do. He didn't follow me for that long and I think after a few exits he pulled off. My friend and I had a backup plan that if I saw his car again, she would direct me to a police station the next town over from her house, instead of going directly there and leading some crazy guy to us. I didn't see the car again and went to my friend's, but the last hours of my drive I was extremely tense and anxious. I remember checking my mirrors regularly for this black pickup truck. It all ended well. I got to my friend's house safely and we had a great weekend. The encounter was definitely creepy, but over the years I didn't put much thought into it. A few years ago I was talking with another friend who was big into serial killers and mentioned my encounter jokingly suggesting this was a serial killer and told her my experience. She was fascinated and wanted to google active serial killers in the Pennsylvania area at the time. The first hit was for Adam Leroy Lane, and he looked almost exactly like the man I met back in 2006. Obviously, it could be my mind filling in the blanks, but the basic characteristics, 40s, tall but stocky, brown hair with a mustache and goatee, and the time and area all match. In my memory, he was a little bit slimmer than in the pictures, and it was 2006, not 2007 when he was actually convicted of murdering women. 
Still, it's an odd coincidence, and one I've never forgotten. One night, we're sitting out on the patio at my friend's house, and we hear his neighbor from the building across and his wife having an raging argument. We think nothing of it because the guy is an acute alcoholic, which has led to many arguments between them on a regular basis. The pattern is that they will yell deafeningly at each other for 20 or 30 minutes. He threatens to physically harm her. She screams bloody murder. He backs down and buggers off somewhere to get away from her, and when he sobers up the next day, apologizes and everything's fine until the next bout. Anyway, we go inside to get away from the noise and put on a flick. A bit later, she screams repeatedly, then it goes quiet. We figure it's the same scenario as countless times before and pay no attention. The next morning, we see the guy on his balcony, and he looks a bit out of sorts. So we ask him if anything's wrong. He says that last night's fight was bad, one of the worst ever, and that he needs to stop drinking. We chat a few minutes and then leave, figuring maybe the guy really has had one of those life-changing moments you hear about. We get back later that afternoon and there's cop cars out front and the cops are dragging this guy out in cuffs. Turns out the night before he strangled and bludgeoned his wife to death. And shortly after talking to us the next morning, he called a taxi and tried to pay the driver to help him stuff her body in the trunk and drive somewhere to get rid of it. So basically, we heard her getting murdered the night before and chatted with the guy the next morning while her body was still in the house and the bedroom was covered in blood. The guy always seemed like he was just a kind and harmless guy who was unfortunately an alcoholic. He came over with food every day for a couple of weeks when my buddy was laid up from an operation. Always tossed us beers and chatted when he was outside. Helped us out whenever we needed, etc. Based on past events, he seemed to be all bark and no bite when they fought. But for some reason this time, he snapped. So this has been happening for about a year and a half. And tonight something happened that finally made me and my boyfriend realize I wasn't imagining things. About a year and a half ago, after living in my apartment for over five years, I all of a sudden started noticing that things would be out of place when I would get home from work. Things that almost seemed out of place on purpose to mess with my OCD. Sometimes I would notice knives that were put back into the knife block the wrong way or little ornaments that I have around my house being turned to face the wrong way. Sometimes my clothes were hung up in my closet the wrong way. Little things like that where I would feel something was off, but there was no way to prove it. And in all honesty, it could have been me being absent-minded when putting things away. After a couple of months of things randomly being out of place and always having that creeped out feeling, things stopped going out of place, and I put it to the back of my mind and stopped being so paranoid 
and just moved on with my life. That is, until about two weeks ago. For the past couple of weeks, my cat has seriously been trying to tell me something when I have gotten home from work. Any of you who have a cat will know that exact meow. It's not an I'm hungry or an I'm angry because you've been at work all day meow, but an oh my gosh you will never believe what happened meow, if that makes sense. I didn't really think anything of it because cats can be jerks sometimes, and I just assumed he was just bored and wanting to complain. The other day when I came home from work I noticed a pair of balled up socks that did not belong to me sitting on my bedroom floor. My boyfriend came over the next night, and I told him he had left a pair of socks here when he had stayed over on the weekend. He looked at the socks and said that they were not his. My heart sunk, and so did his. We both knew that someone had been coming into my house again, and that I probably wasn't imagining the first time. A few days later, I came home from work and found a bag from a lingerie store on top of my couch. It was empty. This bag had come from inside my house, as I had just bought a bathing suit from that store a couple of weeks prior, and the receipt for it was still in the bag. At first I thought my cat might have dragged it there, but upon inspecting the bag there were no teeth marks, as well as my cat couldn't have opened the closet door and gone into the paper cardboard recycling that I keep in there on the top shelf. The final and perhaps the most unsettling thing happened tonight. My boyfriend met me after work and we went out for dinner. We went back to my apartment after and I went to unlock my door and noticed that it was already unlocked. Locking the door when I leave my house is the one thing that I am most OCD about. I don't just double and triple check it. I quadruple check it. It's not just a habit I have but something that is deeply ingrained into me. Everyone who knows me knows this about me as I even do it to their doors. I have to check four times or I get an icky feeling. Even my boyfriend was on red alert when he noticed my door was unlocked. We entered my house and I was checking to see if anything was out of place. He ran to the sliding glass door and tugged it and opened it right up. I'd never leave that door unlocked. He witnessed me lock it on Sunday when I closed the door because it was getting too cold. He saw me check it four times. I have not opened it since then. We are both convinced somebody has been in my house. Whoever's been coming in somehow has a key. The fact that they left the sliding door unlocked makes me think that they are planning to come back with ill intentions. If they have a key, why would they need to unlock the sliding door? Unless they don't want to be identified by the security camera at the front door of my building. Either way, I've ordered a security system but unfortunately it's not going to arrive for a few days. Later on, the Reddit user updates. So far, nothing else has happened, and I haven't caught anything on the security cameras other than my cat doing his thing during the day while I'm gone. I also changed the locks the other day. My landlord got back to me about the security footage from the front door. He said that the only strangers she saw were buzzed into the building by residents so no weirdos or previous tenants with keys. The police are still patrolling my neighborhood quite often, which definitely makes me feel more secure. 
I ended up calling the police this morning and talked to an officer who basically told me that as for right now, there's nothing that they can do unless this escalates. But he did say that it was good that I called in to report it at least. a female and this happened fairly recently nothing bad happened to me but I'm lucky it didn't and it easily could have there's a conservation area that I used to like walking in regularly it's beside a golf course near an ordinary subdivision just off of a busy road and is popular with dog walkers and photographers the conservation area is fairly well maintained and alerts its users that there are hidden cameras everywhere. My point in bringing attention to all of this is to say that by all accounts, this is a very safe, vanilla, urban, wooded area in a populated area. One big thing about me is that I like isolation to recharge. I dislike crowded trails, and by convention go in off-peak hours or when the weather is unpleasant. Not dangerous, but unpleasant. Too cold, lightly raining, foggy, etc. I stay safe, but I like there to be as few people as possible around. In a city in daylight, I don't feel like I'm taking any risks by doing this, really. There was one day I went at around 4pm on a frigid, rainy Monday in November. On days like that, there are maybe only one or two dog walkers but today there was no car in the parking lot except for a dirty blue truck with the man sitting in it. I noticed that he was looking at me, but that didn't really bother me. I was just happy to see the trail was empty. On this particular day, I went to the area to practice my navigation skills. I was learning how to use a compass at that time, and it's good to practice that skill in an area where you don't get lost in it. So I decided to go off trail to a big pine plantation, which is a big open area with large mature pine trees. It's not a hiking area, or really that interesting in any way, and definitely off trail. You wouldn't get there unless you really wanted to get there. So I pick my first landmark and sight it using my compass, and I'm pacing towards it. I find myself about halfway there when I hear rustling through the bushes and I turn around to see the man from the dirty blue pickup truck there, entering the pine plantation. He's a mid-fifties white man, a little pudgy, wearing a baggy beige cardigan and blue slacks. I feel pretty alert at this point. It feels out of place somehow. I take note, but pretend to keep walking around with my compass because I don't want to seem weird. I look at him. He pretends to ignore me. I'm getting a really bad gut feeling about the situation for some reason at this point, and I feel like he's following me. But I have an anxiety disorder, so I try not to freak out for zero reason, and I don't want to ruin my relaxation time. It's just a guy, walking around. No big deal. To see if he's following me, I pivot 180 degrees and walk directly towards the trail again. He's still following me. I walk through the bushes onto the trail, still following me. At this point, I was freaked out. 
the pine plantation entrance is only about 50 feet on the trail. So this guy would have walked 50 feet, entered the pine plantation, then decided that was it for the day? Not great odds. He's definitely following me. I quickly exit the trail and when I'm leaving the parking lot I see that he's still looking at me. I take the long way home. This experience freaks me out and I only visit that area once before the next encounter. It's now January. This time I want to go bird watching. A week prior I had seen an owl in the same pine plantation. I was practicing navigation again and I wanted to see it again. I had seen it for about an hour before sundown so I figured that was a good time to try it and see it again in the same area. I checked the parking lot and there was no blue pickup truck. But there were two other cars with men in them. One was a red sedan with heavily tinted windows and it looks like the other one was empty. So I go on the trail again. Today is muddy, wet, cold. The area should be totally empty. Good. Unfortunately, not so. About 20 feet on the trail, I hear footsteps behind me. I don't like when people walk behind me, but it's not a crime and I'll lose them as soon as I go into the pine plantation. I'm sure you know where this is going. When I walk onto the pine plantation, there's the same rustling of the bushes before, and when I turn around, I see the same man from before. I feel a wave of terror and dread come over me, alone in a muddy forest with a possible stalker. But it's still so calm, and it feels so mundane. To confirm my fears, I walk over to the area where I saw the owl last week and pause to look for it. Who do I see next to me? It's the same freaking guy from before. I'm terrified at this point, and every part of me is screaming, run. So I walk as fast as I can to the trail again. I pass some other random guy in the same pine plantation and smile at him, just totally on autopilot. He smiles back. It wasn't until I was in the parking lot where I get freaked out that there was a second person in the same pine plantation, but they have been connected somehow. I stop briefly in the parking lot and take out a small notepad to quickly write down the license plates of the two cars. This gives the original man time to catch up to the parking lot. I'm going as fast as I can on foot out of the parking lot and he yells towards me. Did I give you a ride? And I just shake my head and keep walking. As I walk away he begins to follow me in his car. He waits at the intersection to which direction I'm going in and I decide to walk in a busy park to lose him. He pulls into a nearby hidden driveway and stares at me and takes out his phone to presumably take a photo of me. He notes what direction I'm walking in, then does a U-turn and drives fast the other way. I ended up taking the long way home. I filled out a police report and the police opened an investigation on it. I've not gone back to the conservation area since, and the experience has definitely left me with an ongoing nervousness about being alone. Doubly more because I do not know who the second guy is. I passed him so quickly, I only know that he was in his mid-fifties and had glasses, and was bald. The police unfortunately told me there's nothing they can do at this point, so the best I can do is stay vigilant and try to not let it freak me out too much. Unfortunately, this has totally ruined my love for going out into the wilderness alone. Nothing bad happened, but 
I think that was more because I was able to escape and lose him, or them, before anything bad did happen. So to the two random almost stalkers, let's not meet. I was camped out for the day, planning to spend the night on Cochiti Lake, southwest of Santa Fe, New Mexico. We were there on the water just north of the dam and a little down the road from it. There was almost no one around, and my new girlfriend, who would years later become my wife, and I spent the day smoking, messing around, you know, stuff that young people do, on a blanket laid on the rocks next to the shore. We also stripped down to our underwear twice during the day and swam out amongst the sparse reeds that lined the lake. We could hear cars zooming by on it on Route 22, but we were safely out of view of the road. After several hours, we noticed movement around a box truck that was parked on a little rise away from the water. We didn't think much of it, even welcomed other campers in the area, but she noticed a couple of times that a man was crouching in bushes near the truck and looking at us through binoculars. After catching him at it three times, I told her to put our stuff in the car, and I grabbed our stuff too and made off for it. He popped right up and started running towards us, yelling, Hey, how you guys doing? I have moda. You like moda? Because we have really good Mexican stuff. I I saw you smoking. I bet you'd like our moda. I approached him while she cut behind me toward our car, and she said something about how maybe we should hang out with him old guy in the desert free drugs the guy was rangy and wrinkled he looked low class and too old to be offering 22 year olds drugs in the desert also he was drunk at least his face was a gin blossom and he walked like a cowboy he kept coming I told her under my breath to get in our car fast and I shouted no we don't want any moto we have to go he kept coming over He was quickly in my space, putting his hand on my shoulder and walking me back towards his box truck. Hey man, it's good to see you guys out here. How many people from Santa Fe get out here and we're having a party tomorrow? You should stay for it. We're setting up a big lake party with my friends. As I got close, I saw that the box truck was a trailer and there was an old gold-colored Ford truck just over the little rise it was on. I asked about his friends, and he said they were coming up on motorcycles early the next day for the big party. Luckily, I was really serious about this girl, and the last thing in the world I wanted was to spend our desert vacation partying with elderly bikers. He also told me that his wife was coming out and that I'd like her a lot. He talked about swapping our girls. I told him we were leaving. I shook off his arm, turning. As I got back to our car, that gold truck drove up on the road we were on, almost cutting us off. I swerved around it, not even stopping, as a young and dark-haired man jumped out waving his hands at us. In retrospect, I think he was waving a badge. That was Mr. Ray's modus operandus. This little inconvenience happened in late July 1997. I think it was a Thursday when that old jerk pervert and his little buddy tried to rape and murder my family. The future mother of my children and I spent the next week carelessly trekking around four corners in south central Colorado. 
We spent several nights camping in mountain wilderness, but avoided the desert after that. I didn't think about that old pervert again until I happened to be watching Cable One Saturday afternoon in the fall of 2009. We're divorced. She has custody of the kids, and I spend a crap load of time using the computer and watching TV. Middle age is like that sometimes. A show came on when I was playing Fallout 3. It was called I Survived, and it documented the escape of Cynthia Vigil from David Parker Ray and his girlfriend Cindy Hindi. Little details jumped out at me through the Saturday afternoon haze of weekend malaise and video gaming. When I saw the freaking photos of David Parker Ray and his accomplices, I was scared, grateful, and excited. I had gotten a Christmas gift 13 years ago that I never knew I even had. I was gifted with not dying at the hands of a lunatic sexual torture addict, and I didn't even know it. In retrospect, I think Mr. Ray was suggesting that I should screw his girlfriend Cindy and trade my hot young girlfriend for her. David Parker Ray's, quote, friends were actually his instruments of sexual torture, with which he claims to have killed 60 people with. They were actually there the whole time, inside that box trailer. His daughter's boyfriend, Dennis Roy Yancey, was the man who drove up in the truck to stop us. He was probably flashing a badge, as everyone feels that Ray used his badge from his job as a mechanic at a New Mexico state prison to entice victims into submission. Also, it's thought that he managed to hide the results of his murderous rampage by removing the organs from their corpses, filling them with rocks, sewing up the body cavity, and sinking them into lakes in New Mexico and Arizona. Interestingly, while Ray had apparently been killing since the 1950s, police believe that the other man we saw that day, Dennis Roy Yancey, had killed his first man on or about July 5th, 1997. Thank you guys so much for listening. As per usual, follow us over on Instagram at Nightmare Society Radio and uh, over on YouTube. Um, just search for Nightmare Society Radio and look for our logo and the hundreds or over a hundred, whatever, um, podcast episodes we have on there. So, anyways, thanks again and until next time. Sweet.